The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, welcome to the Big Review Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Chris, how you doing today? Doing pretty good. All right, so Giants minicamp has opened. I mean, not not a lot really happening. It's still a off-season practice. There's shorts, there's no hitting. So we're not really going to dive into much of that. Ed is going to be here to explain what he saw at practice throughout the week. So he's really going to be talking about the practice more. So we are just going to gloss over what happened. It seems like some people look good. Some people don't. That's just kind of what you can expect from from an off-season practice like this, where you're not ramping up to, to full speed yet. So there's really not a lot to take away. We try to, but it, that's just because it's the only thing going on. But for today, we're going to, the most of the episode later is just going to be a mailbag. We're going to answer a few quick questions. Before we get into that, I just wanted to talk about a couple of things that I, I've been doing lately. And I've just been like binge watching some of these film sessions from NFL Game Pass. And this is with uh, Ron Jaworski and Brian Baldinger and they started this last year. They really blew it out this year of having players come in. They watch some film with these players and just kind of go over what they see, what these players are thinking, their techniques and everything. And I've watched three of these so far and they've, they've been pretty good for this season. I've watched Andrew Luck, Lane Johnson, the right tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles, and Desmond King, who is a cornerback for the Los Angeles Chargers. I just want to quickly go into a couple takeaways I got from these that could and should translate to what the Giants are going to do in 2019. Uh, The first one I watched was Andrew Luck, and I think my biggest takeaway from Luck was more about Frank Reich and just how involved he is in that offense and how he really set up Andrew Luck to come back and be successful in 2018. A lot of that came from this scheme. You just look at a lot of what Indianapolis did and we discussed this when the Giants played Indianapolis during the season of just how open they are able to scheme these receivers their offensive scheme is just so good a lot of that starts with the offensive line which Andrew Luck said the beginning of the week the first thing they talked about was the offensive line pass protections to keep Andrew Luck clean to allow him to have a healthy pocket and allow him to push the ball downfield which they did quite a bit. And one of the other things was their use of tight ends. 
there might not be a team who uses multiple tight ends better than the Colts did. I think Luck said five different tight ends caught a touchdown for them last year. And that's probably going to continue. They still have Eric Ebron. Jack Doyle is going to be coming back. And that's something they, that can translate to the Giants with Evan Ingram, with Rhett Ellison, with Scott Simonson. We've discussed how we would like to see the Giants pass from 12 personnel more because you can use those mismatches with the type of player Ingram is, with the receiving skills that like Ellison does have, and Simonson showed a little bit of that too. So I would like to see the Giants kind of take what the Colts did with their tight end passing game and use that more in 2019. Yeah, definitely. When the Giants played the Colts last year, that was something I noted in my prep for that game was just how they used their tight ends and especially Eric Ebron because he was considered a bust coming out of North Carolina when the Lions drafted him and really didn't get a whole hell of a lot out of him. You could see the flashes of his athleticism and the player that he could be, but he just never really realized that with how the Lions used him. But he believed in himself, and apparently the Colts did too. But they didn't use him as a full-time tight end. They would use him, I believe he described the position almost as a, as a sniper. Just They would bring him on in certain situations when they could create a favorable matchup, and then let him use that athletic ability to really gash a defense and pick up chunk yardage. And also, like you, like you said, you're, to your point about Frank Reich and Andrew Luck, it was no sure thing that Luck would be able to come back from his injury, just period, or come back from his injury and still be an elite quarterback. We shouldn't forget, he had to go over to Europe to get a special medical treatment that I don't believe is approved by the FDA to get his shoulder back to where he could play NFL quarterback. So that comeback and what the scheme they built around him and the development of their offensive line, which for years was a, just a bad unit. Anthony Costanzo was his first two or three years was so bad. It made, Eric Flowers looked like a all-pro tackle. Just the development of that offense and the scheming of that offense was brilliant last year. So that they're a team I hope the Giants have been watching on film. Yeah, I think so. And surprisingly, when we talk about the tight ends, they were still in 11 personnel 74% of the time per sharp football stats. I think that was because of a lot of the injuries they had at tight end, at that second tight end position. They had to... Is, kind of consistently roll over that position but when they used 12 personnel they were a 50 50 split between the run and the pass and that's great that's a, a formation uh, not giving away what you're going to do and then 10.4 yards per attempt in 12 personnel so that's exactly what you want to see and so that is i think something the giants can replicate and when we move on, I watched uh, Lane Johnson, which was very interesting. Someone who plays for the Eagles, someone the Giants see twice per season. I I'm not going to go into like crazy detail here about what Lane Johnson did. A lot of it was just kind of offensive line technique, which I found just uh, really interesting. It's always good to learn about that from the guys who do it. Some quick takeaways from him. We talked about for the RPOs, the run pass options. 
All he does is worry about run blocking and not worrying about whether he's too far down the field or not when run blocking, because if you know run blocking, you're usually moving forward, pass blocking, you're moving backward. But there's supposed to be a penalty for offensive linemen being too far down the field while pass blocking. But when you're using an RPO, you're run blocking. So offensive linemen can tend to get down the field. He says he doesn't care about that because the refs never call it. So that is an advantage to the offense where you are getting an offensive lineman down the field where you wouldn't be able to do that on a pass play. And now we'll see the Giants have said they'll use a little more RPOs in their playbook. That's probably especially going to be the case when Daniel Jones comes in at quarterback whenever that might be. So that is just a little mini but built-in advantage for the offense when you can have the offensive lineman a little further downfield pass blocking or blocking on a pass than you would normally. One other thing I... I thought stood out from Lane Johnson that's just worth bringing up is that he said he preferred to block against longer edge rushers. And when you you know, hear people talk about the prototypical edge rusher they want, they want these like long, big guys. But Lane Johnson said he prefers blocking those guys because there's more area to block. So if you're efficient in your technique, like someone like Lane Johnson is, uh, he, you have more room to block those guys. He said the smaller guys, like in Elvis Doomerville, who was listed at 5'11", 230. So if he was listed at that, he was probably smaller. And Elvis Doomerville was great. He said guys like that, he hates blocking because they can just naturally getting a leverage advantage of being lower. And I think we see that a lot with guys like someone like Aaron Donald who gets that leverage against guards because he is undersized. So I think we sometimes can underrate how important or how a undersized, like, speedy pass rusher can translate to the NFL. And I think that's something we talked about a lot during the draft season. So it was real interesting to hear one of the best offensive tackles in the NFL said he would actually rather get one of those prototypical big guys instead of an undersized speedy pass rusher who could give him just some more problems just by natural leverage. Yeah, I'm actually going to stick a pin in this and circle back to it when we get to our mailbag because this does hit on something I want to talk about when we answer one of those questions. All right, sounds good. And then, uh, (laughs) so... I just kind of was just banging out a couple of these. And the third one I watched was Desmond King, uh, who is mostly a nickel corner for the Los Angeles Chargers. He had a great season last year. I was just fascinated by some of the defensive stuff he was talking about. He talked a lot about uh, some like match coverage the Chargers use, which is basically just a hybrid of zone and man coverage, which you should be seeing more in the NFL, just based on the responsibilities and the routes it impacts what coverage the defense runs and what responsibilities they have. Talked a little bit about defending RPOs. We talked about the seven defensive back defense that they ran against the Baltimore Ravens in the playoffs last year. That's something we've suggested the Giants should maybe try to do a little bit this season. So, uh, And then he also talked about some special teams because he was a second team all-pro returner last year. So we kind of talked about setting up blocks and stuff. So no like crazy takeaways that I think are translatable to the extent that we need to break them down. But I thought Desmond King had the, the most fun I've watched in one of these from this year and last year so far. So if you have NFL Game Pass, uh, I would highly suggest uh, watching all of these be, uh, because they're really informative and it's cool to hear the players actually talk about this stuff themselves. Yeah, that's definitely on my to-do list. Uh, with minicamp going on and Ed there, I've been 
trying to keep an eye on things just in case news breaks. So I, I wasn't able to get on Game Pass, but that's definitely on my to-do list. Yeah, it's good. And I think there's about seven new ones up right now. I don't know if that's on purpose. They were supposed <laughs> to only do like one a week in, through September, but there's a bunch up right now. So if you have that, definitely a, a cool tool to have. So we are going to take a quick break and be back with a couple mailbag questions. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, so we are back. Our main topic today is just a bunch of topics. We opened up a mailbag just to get some questions from you guys to see just what you want to talk about. Because it is June. Uh, while minicamp is going on, there's always so much minicamp talk we can have. So we opened it up for mail and just kind of see what you guys wanted to talk about. So we got a couple questions. We're going to go over those. Um, so this first one is from James McGovern. And I think this was from uh, Chris, one of your posts, this question came. First off, I want to say how much I enjoy reading the Big Blue View blog. And I think that all the contributors you have are very solid. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Uh, I've been a Giants fan for 40 plus years now. Wow. Okay. Uh, and in my opinion, the best Giants blog out there. Okay. So still talking about that. I thought we were getting into the question. Okay. My question is this. There we go. Sorry. I'm reading this as we go. I wanted to see if you could elaborate on a point Chris made in over under post today. Uh, go read that. We all talked about the Giants over under at six and where we are taking that right now. That's a post up on Big Blue View. Okay. In the post, he writes, while there's plenty I like about Pat Shermer, I remain frustrated by his refusal to play his to his personnel strengths and attack opponents' weaknesses. So he says, I have definitely heard the self-scouting commentary about Shermer, but hadn't heard either of those critiques about not attacking opponents' weaknesses or refusal to play to his personnel strengths. Any light you could shed would be appreciated. Um, okay, so James, you can go back and listen to almost any podcast we had post-game during the 2018 season. There was a lot of this talk. 
but I think a lot of this was, you know, just different tendencies that we that brought up. Even over the past couple of weeks, we've started to bring this up. We had it in the How the Offense Can Be More Efficient podcast we did, uh, I think, two weeks ago at this point. A lot of that is in there. The Giants ran a lot from heavy personnel. They they didn't run nearly enough into from 11 personnel. They used a lot of stack boxes. Uh, the usage of Evan Ingram on only short routes, uh, not throwing to Saquon Barkley like in front of the line of scrimmage. I did a thread on Twitter this week of Saquon Barkley's past targets from the slot. That thread consisted of one tweet that said end of thread uh, because Saquon Barkley was not targeted from the slot at all at any point uh, during the 2018 season. He had seven targets lined up wide, uh, but when you combine his slot and out wide targets, which was still seven, that was like 29th among all running backs. And that's not where Barkley should be. So it's it's a lot of these little things that kind of just built up to one big thing where you can see all of these just little pieces where the Giants just weren't getting the most out of what they could have brought to the field last year. Yeah, it's, you know, just that exactly. And also there were a few specific instances I had in mind when I wrote that. You know, the first was when the Giants played the New Orleans Saints. You know, at the at the time, the Saints secondary hadn't started to come around yet. And Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore weren't playing as well as they had the year prior. So the Saints secondary was bad at that point. I believe they were making all of their opponents look like either Patrick Mahomes or Goff. So coming into the game, we both basically said the Giants need to attack downfield. Yeah, Cameron Jordan is a really good defensive lineman, but they can't let him dictate their offensive scheme and just throw quick dump-off passes. Yeah, They have to attack this secondary and take advantage of an obvious weakness in the opponent's defense. They did basically not that until it was the end of the game and the Giants were desperately trying to make a comeback. When That was when they targeted, I think, Cody Latimer downfield a couple times, and it was successful. Then the other game that was right in the forefront of my mind, because I had very recently gone back and taken a second look at it, was the Eagles game in which the Giants jumped out to an early lead against an Eagles secondary that was so injured they didn't even have enough healthy players to practice. They were conscripting players from other positions to fill out their secondary so they could practice. And the Giants just did not attack downfield. They had some very clear tendencies, and they would throw... Beyond, basically a, 10 to 15 yards downfield if the Eagles were in man coverage, but if they were in zone coverage, it was just basically quick five-yard passes. And they ran whenever they felt like it. The tackle box count didn't matter. While in the second half of that game, the Eagles switched to basically a vanilla cover three defense, which has eight players in the tackle box all the time, a single high safety, and the two corners in zone coverage. That basically shut down the Giants' offense. They had 56 yards and a, and a field goal 
in an entire half of football. That's a disappointing drive. For that to be your entire half against a completely depleted secondary is just not good. And just to make matters worse, that was before Odell Beckham got injured. So they had their full complement of offensive weapons. And you just should not be able to run cover three against an offense that has Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Red Ellison, and all of those guys. You know, even with the Eagles' pass rush, you still should not be able to run a cover three against them. And even though everybody in the league knows how to beat cover three, the Giants still just didn't do it. Now, there were other times we did see Pat Shermer make some adjustments. Um, the Texans game, the Carolina game, those times we did see it, but they, they would just never stick with those adjustments and carry them through to the next game. They'd always go back into their shell. And that was really what frustrated me with him last year. Yeah, I mean, all of that. I remember the, the Eagles game specifically. That is something that continues to stand out. It, it was a depleted secondary, a secondary that was very prone to double moves, and the Giants just didn't do any of that. So it's just, yeah, it's just things like that that you think just should be obvious. And it's something that, like, if the two of us here are like figuring out and think it's an obvious thing, like it, the coaching staff should know that. I mean, I feel like everyone thought the Giants should be throwing downfield against the Eagles. I know they struggled to throw downfield in general last year, but against a secondary like that, it's just, it's something that should have been done. It was almost necessary to be done against that secondary, and, and it just wasn't. So there's, there's little things just here and there that just kind of continued to build up um, with with the offense last year, and it's it's something you hope was considered during the offseason and is going to be fixed for next season. And that'll bring us to our next question, which is how do you think the departure of Odell Beckham will impact Shermer's play calling, if at all, particularly given that their top two wide receivers are both at their best when playing in the slot? So that, yeah, everything goes hand in hand here. I, I think... Shepard and Tate do both play their best from the slot, but I think they also both have the ability to win from the outside. So I, I don't think they're going to be hampered by that. I do think they're going to run 12 personnel more often than they did last year. Hopefully they're not going to run the ball from 12 personnel more than they did last year. You want to pass more from that. And hopefully it's not going to be running into stack boxes like they did in the end of the season last year. Um, the four games Odell Beckham missed, Saquon Barkley led the league in runs against stacked boxes. Um, and when we talked to Matt Harmon uh, a while ago on this podcast, he just brought up through his charting, Odell Beckham is one of the few wide receivers in the league who actually call for double coverage from defenses on a significant amount of snaps. And people talk about double coverage all the time, but rarely is it like true double coverage. But Odell is the type of receiver who does just completely change how the defense 
can play against an offense. And without him, I think that frees up the defense a little more. And I think the Giants are going to have to be a little more creative in in getting some openings. So you would hope that's where the play calling is going. Although based on last year, that's not what it was. But hopefully there was a little step back. There was a little self-scouting and that's going to change for 2019. Yeah, definitely. You know, in doing our summer school series, I've been trying to concentrate on especially the last two games the Giants played because those games we at least saw something of a different offense. They used a lot more misdirection. They ran Evan Ingram you know, as a ball carrier and not just as a, t- a target for three and five yard crossing routes. Yeah. You know, and that I think is where the offense more or less needs to go. Yeah, you know, they can't just play a straight up, straight ahead West Coast offense. I think they need to really make an effort to scheme mismatches for Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram, and then also use Golden Tate's ability, you know, in space as a ball carrier, and I suppose just make Sterling Shepard their fireman. You know, just He is very reliable. He does have the ability to win inside and out and against different kinds of coverage. So he should probably be the guy they just go to when they absolutely need to get a pass off and get a reception. But as far as just running the offense, I think they should try to get those mismatches for Ingram and Barkley because they're the guys who have the the athletic ability to really make defensive mistakes into big gains and not just keep the offense chugging along. Yeah, and use all of that to create those mismatches. Take Barkley from the backfield, line him up in the slot a little bit, line him up outside more, do those things that are going to create mismatches. You have guys like Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley for the reason. Those guys were first-round picks where they were drafted because they're mismatches. And when you don't use them as mismatches, then that defeats the purpose of having them on the roster. If you were you know, not going to use Evan Ingram as a mismatch, like there's no point in actually having someone of Evan Ingram's skill set. Just use a normal tight end. That's how you're using him. And that, that's not the point. Um, you should be creating more mismatches for Ingram. You should be creating more mismatches from Barkley. And don't just have those mismatches for Barkley be make this guy miss behind the line of scrimmage. That's not an efficient use of anyone's time. So... If you can you know, get him more routes down the field, allow him to get in that space. Those are the two things. How they use Ingram and Barkley are going to be the, the big factors of how this offense is going to run in 2019. I know we've talked a lot about receivers and how it's big that Beckham is not here and that you know the, the receivers are going to be Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. But if they're not using Barkley and Ingram in more creative ways, then Shepard and Tate, I don't think, bring enough, although I like both of them in a vacuum as receivers. If Barkley and Ingram aren't used more creatively, Shepard and Tate aren't enough as receivers together to lift a passing offense. So that's that's where the Giants are, in, in my view, heading into this season. Yeah, you know, I think it's something we've said. You know, we, we both like Shepard and Tate, but they're not going to scare a defense. 
Berkeley already does scare defenses, and Evan Ingram should scare defenses. He was second in the league in yards after catch among receivers behind only George Kittle. And Kittle, and also, again, to circle back to how the to talking about the Colts, Kittle and Ebron are how the Giants should be using Ingram. We talked a lot about in how the Giants could run the ball more efficiently by using a an 11-man personnel package. Well, they could use Engram to basically simulate that package while having a 12-personnel package on the field. So I think if the Giants play calling changes because of Beckham's absence, it should change to feature those two players. Yeah, we've talked about that a bunch, and we're probably going to continue to bring that up throughout the the offseason into the regular season. So we will see how that plays out. Next question. It's early, but if you had to bet on one undrafted free agent to make an impact this season, who would it be? That's interesting. I, I don't think there's anyone... At least in my opinion, I'm not sure there's anyone on the roster that I feel as strongly about as I did Grant Haley uh, last year. Because the Giants like really went hard to sign Grant Haley. It was clear he's someone who should have been drafted. And then he played a significant amount of snaps last year. So I'm not sure I feel as strongly about anyone as much as I did Haley last year. I would say if someone just going based on the amount the Giants tried to get that player in. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to make Eric Dungy a thing. Former quarterback from Syracuse, fairly good a college quarterback, and they are transitioning him to a tight end to, I guess, play a Taysom Hill role because that, of course, that's what NFL teams took away from 2018 was Taysom Hill, not all of these other ways that offenses can be more efficient. Uh, Taysom Hill was their takeaway. So I could see the Giants trying to make Eric Dungy their Taysom Hill. I'm not sure if I'm for that or not, but I I could see him making an impact that way because the Giants already seem to be making an effort for that to happen. Uh, And then I think another name I would throw out there is Reggie White Jr. Not a junior from Reggie White Green Bay Packers the Minister of and, Defense. Yeah, the Green Bay Packers and Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, that is not his dad, but his dad did play in the NFL. He is a wide receiver from Mammoth. I think just because of the depth at wide receiver, where there's a lot of guys, but not a lot of quality. I think he has the ability to probably uh, sneak onto the roster. And if the Giants don't really have anyone as that third wide receiver, which we talked about is going to be an important position. But if they don't have anyone who really sticks there, I could see that rotation coming in. And I think Reggie White probably has a pretty good chance of, of getting into that rotation. Yeah, you know, like we said, when we talked about young players who need to step up, the Giants need to find a third receiver somewhere. I know I just said that they could use Ingram to simulate that, but Evan Ingram is not a wide receiver. That is not the best use of his skill set on a down-to-down basis. He is a tight end, and playing him at tight end allows him to get the mismatches to make him effective. The Giants need a third wide receiver from somewhere, and who knows, maybe Reggie White will be that guy. He does have just size and athleticism that they don't really have elsewhere. Cody Latimer is also big and athletic. 
Corey Coleman is he's going to be active on game day. He's, he will almost certainly make the roster. He is very athletic, but he hasn't really proven himself as as a wide receiver yet, despite being a first round pick. Yeah, he just hasn't been a, a really great receiver for any of the teams he's been on. Um, as far as an, just another UDFA who could be an impact player, it would be less than ideal. In fact, it would be almost a disaster situation. But I'll I'll say Paul Adams, uh, the offensive lineman out of Missouri. He played right tackle for Mizzou. I think he he might, in a pinch, be able to play offensive tackle in the NFL. He m- might be better inside at guard but i think either way if he is on the field then it's just not a good thing for the giants but considering their depth on the offensive line he is his might be a name to keep an eye on yeah it might not be a positive impact but he would at least be an impact and now i want to get circle back around to where we were talking before with the Lane Johnson and how he really hates to block the undersized pass rushers. You know, for years I've wanted the Giants to draft just basically another OCU Manura, just a kind of undersized pocket rocket of a pass rusher who can fire off the edge, beat blockers with speed, and just wreak havoc in the backfield. So the guy I was really actually excited to see on the field was Nate Harvey. Uh, an undersized edge rusher out of ECU, East Carolina. He's not a big guy, really compact speed rusher. And he only had one year of production at ECU. But that production was 61 tackles, 24 and a half tackles for a loss and 12 sacks. That's pretty good. Maybe he would have had to move inside to inside linebacker, kind of like Hassan Reddick. But I also wouldn't hate to see the Giants take a page out of the Vikings and Mike Zimmer's playbook and feature maybe a little bit more double A gap pressure. Cause you know, I always like those pressure packages. They're generally effective at just disrupting the offense, even if rushers don't come. So he would have been my guy, but he already got injured this year. So I guess I'll just say Paul Adams. Yeah, Harvey would be interesting. 43 pressures per Sports Info Solutions, 12 quarterback hits. There was some good production there. So we'll see. I think the Giants, especially on defense, pretty young. So I think there's you know, possibly a chance for the, some guys to, to, make, to make an impact. Just I, I don't see a guy of, of Grant Haley's the caliber uh, on the field yet. But, but we'll see. We're still very early in the offseason program. All right, next question from Joe Miller. Do you think that Ryan Conley can move ahead of B.J. Goodson on the depth chart by October? Um, sure. I mean, if if he's good, I, I don't think the Giants are stuck with anyone at linebacker right now. We just brought up in the previous episode, we think possibly B.J. Goodson could take over Alec Ogletree's role. So I could see Goodson taking over for Ogletree. I could see Conley taking over for Goodson. I think that is definitely a position where whoever is playing the best and shows the qualities that the Giants are looking for to be on the field, whoever just puts them in the best position to win at that position, I think that's going to be the guy who gets on the field. So I, I could see Conley being there, sure. 
Yeah, you know, right now, Goodson is still a starter. You know, Tay Davis is the nickel linebacker. Goodson and Alec Ogletree are the starters. But, you know, that's a position where kind of anything can happen. You know, I've been pretty vocal in my support of Goodson. I think he's honestly the Giants' best linebacker. But he also isn't one of the current regime's guys. He's a holdover from, you know, Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo and Steve Spagnolo. So, you know, it's possible they just might want their guy there. Yeah, hopefully Connolly will be able to cover better for the Giants than he did for Wisconsin. But yeah, you know, that could have also come down to just Wisconsin's scheme and coaching. So you know, that's something we'll just have to see. By October, I I don't know, maybe if there's a change made there, either with Goodson supplanting Ogletree or Connolly moving ahead of Tate Davis or, you know, whatever, I'm not sure we might not see that before, you know, the bye week, but it could happen. Yeah, I I could totally see it. I, I don't think the Giants are locked in at linebacker for as new. I mean, the, the Ogletree contract is a sunk cost right now. There's not a lot they can do. He's going to go in as the starter. Uh, but if he's not playing well, I, I don't see any hesitation to take him off the field. Uh, and the same thing for Goodson. Uh, obviously, the Giants are not super beholden to to Goodson because he was taken off the field at some points last year. So I, I think that that whole linebacker thing is probably more up for grabs than than we would expect uh, at this point. So I, I think even through training cramp, I think we could probably start to see how that depth is going to play out. So we have uh, one more question that is from Patrick Chamberlain. Thank you, Patrick, for the questions. If you could take any past giant other than LT who isn't still active so that's going to be key not still active assuming they're in their prime and put them on the current roster who would you choose and why uh, i'll let you take this one first okay you know, just talking about linebackers i'm tempted to say harry carson or carl banks because you know they were excellent when bill belichick says something it says that harry carson is the best player he ever coached that is damn high praise and considering the state of the Giants' linebacking core, I wouldn't blame anyone who said either one of those two guys. I I think I'm actually going to go for Plaxico Burris. As we've said a, a ton, even in this podcast already, we've said it a bunch. The Giants need to get a downfield threat who can scare defenses, keep them from stacking the box against Saquon Barkley, and... They also just don't really have a ton of, I'll say, proven receivers with size and athleticism, which, yes, both of those things are overrated, but you do want some variety in your receiving core. Evan Ingram is an undersized tight end. Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate are undersized receivers. They could use a power forward or a center just to... Steel basketball parlance, which I'm not even sure why I don't really watch basketball. But just having a player like Plax in the lineup could completely open things up. And also, the Giants definitely had the Eagles number when they had Burris. So that would also be nice to have back. Yeah, that's definitely that's a good place to go. That's not where I was thinking, though. I probably should 
think offense at some point because I think it's more important. But uh, the way I was leaning and I think the way my first instinct was to just go to Michael Strahan. I think his game probably translates really well to what the game now is. I think in his prime Strahan, a little uh, a little more slim, a little more athletic than he was, you know, at 36 when we saw him on the 2007 roster. But in his prime, Michael Strahan, you can line him up on the edge. You can have him be, I think him as a stand-up linebacker in a 3-4 would be uh, pretty scary, I think. And then you, I think you could switch him inside. I think that would happen more than it would back when he was playing. Uh, so I think he is just, uh, you know, the dominant pass rusher would open up a lot for the other guys they have. It would take, uh, it would take the pressure off Lorenzo Carter. It would take the pressure off Marcus Golden. It would take the pressure off O'Shane Zimenez. So I think just eventually take the pressure off the secondary because you have that pass rusher who's probably going to get to the quarterback of con- consistently with which is something I don't think the Giants have right now. So I think taking a prime Michael Strahan and putting him on the edge probably helps the defense out more than probably any other single player does, except for LT, who we could not pick. Yeah. Screw it. Breaking the rules. LT. Yeah, it's obviously. It's to prove of. Yeah, obviously yeah. That, that would be the place to go. Uh, LT, it, it's crazy how in I think any era of defense he would fit and possibly more now than he even did then which is which is crazy and just shows just how special he was as a player so that is all the questions we have thank you for everyone who sent in questions uh throughout the summer we'll probably do more of these mailbags especially if we're low on content and trying to figure out what to talk about i'll say hopefully we'll we'll be doing more of them because if we're getting news during the summer between mini camp and training camp it is never good yeah that's <laughs> we don't want to talk about bad news <laughs> that's probably true also uh, so we are going to end this episode here you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcast please rate and review if you have not keep Uh, bringing those five-star ratings and positive reviews. They've been helping us out and they've been coming in. So thank you for those who have done that. You can find our work on bigblueview.com. You can follow Big Blue View on Twitter at Big Blue View. You can follow Big Blue View on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Raptor MKII. Thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.